Hey friends, welcome to the Catalyst Podcast. We hope you enjoy what you're listening to, and may you find peace and grace in all the words that are before you. Amen. Uh, so we are in the book of Mark. We'll get, we're going to finish off Mark 8 this morning. Uh This is a part in Mark's gospel that is actually really important uh, in the ministry ministry of Jesus because it's kind of a transition in the ministry of Jesus. Uh, Mark has been, up to this point, has been talking about the power of God that we see through Jesus. He's talking about the healings of Jesus. He's like laying, laying this firm foundation of what life with Christ looks like. And then at this point, there's like this pivot that happens throughout the rest of the book of Mark, where it goes from the power and healing of Jesus into the suffering and defeat of Jesus. And so if you remember last week, we looked at Jesus, how he took his disciples to that area of Caesarea Philippi, where there was this area that had... um, a natural spring that came up, and the spring was known as the gates of hell because it was this this gateway to the underworld is how they thought. And so the people there had set up a, a altar, a space to worship this god named Pan, which was half goat, half human god. And Jesus takes his disciples there and asks them this question. He said, you know, when you're with all those crowds, when you're listening to the crowds, What are people saying I am? Who are people saying I am? What are you hearing? And then he turns the question to them and he says, well, what about you? Who do you say I am, my disciples? What does your gut say? Harper knows. Harper knows who Jesus is. (laughs) Jesus is like, what does your gut say? Who would you say I am? And Peter answers, he, he says, you are the Messiah. You are the Messiah. And in Peter's mind... And in every other Jewish mind, the Messiah was this divine rescuer who would defeat all of Israel's enemies through these epic battles and through bloodshed. And then he would be someone that Israel could be proud of, could boast about. They'd write songs about him like they had written for King David. But Jesus doesn't affirm this common messianic understanding of Peter's and the others. Instead of saying, yeah, Yep, I'm the Messiah. It's exactly how you think. Just sit back and watch what I'll do next. Because that's what they would have expected. Jesus is just like, you know, you guys are on the right side of history. You guys are going to be famous alongside of me. Everyone will wish that they're my disciples too because I'm the Messiah. That's not what he was saying. He wasn't like, just wait. You guys are going to get your crowns and thrones. And you'll be well known for how awesome you are because you are associated with me. What Jesus says instead is, I am going to suffer. I am going to be rejected. Every religious authority and the most famous leaders that you respect and admire will reject me and have me killed, and I will rise again in three days. And Peter's response to Jesus is, no, no, no. That is not happening on my watch. He's like, absolutely not. This cannot happen because it will not make sense. Because for Peter and for the disciples, if they are wanting to be like their rabbi, and their rabbi is saying, this is what my end result will be, this is the the trajectory of my life, that means that that is the trajectory of their life as well. I will be rejected. I will suffer. I will be killed. 
rise again in three days? I don't know. But that is what they are thinking in those moments. So Jesus tells Peter, he says, I know this is what you're expecting, but then he goes, get behind me. Get in line behind me. And he calls him Satan, the sense of like, you do not have the purposes of God in mind. You don't have the right perspective. You have no idea how God works. You don't, don't dare, you dare tell me how I'm supposed to live my life or how I'm supposed to be thinking or that you think that your thoughts are better or more important than God's thoughts. He says, you're looking for what everyone else is looking for, Peter. You want the easiest way out. You want your best life now. But God's ways are different than your expectations. So Jesus says, get in line and follow me. Follow me to places that you wouldn't necessarily go if I wasn't with you. The disciples were expecting some sort of, uh, something different with Jesus. And then Mark's gospel makes this note that this, there was this change in their expectations from that point on. And, and, and instead of power and healing being what Jesus is known for, for the crowds that are following him, that are, that are wanting to be curious and they're interested in what he's going to do next, he will be now known for suffering and defeat. And the crowds become suspicious and they become distant. So the shift takes place in today's passage. So turn with me to the end of uh, Mark 8. I'm going to read it and then we'll just sit with it for a minute. There's Bibles around. If you need a Bible, uh, you're welcome to grab one off of the chairs here. Um, but it's great to have a Bible. If you brought your own, then you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to take the ones on the seats. Don't take somebody else's Bible because it's got their name in it. It's weird. Uh, So I'm going to read it through, and then we're just going to let it sit for a minute, and then I just want to kind of chat about what's coming up with it, and then we'll get into what I feel like God's given me for today. So it says in verse 34, and we'll go to 9-1. Then Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples, And said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Then he said to them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has Yeah, there's this story uh, in the Old Testament. It's in the beginning pages of the Old Testament where in Genesis where um, where you read of these beginning people and you read of it in this way that's like super complete and the way that they're living is harmonious and it and it feels whole and peaceful. And this peace is going on within the relationship that these people have with each other, within the earth, within their relationship with God, and within the relationship they even have within themselves. Everything they needed was available and they had no lack. Yet there was this dissatisfaction about how things were that was made known to them. And that dissatisfaction was born out of the belief that God was a withholder. 
that, that God didn't have their best interest in mind and that God was holding back in some way. And most of you know the story. There's that story about like how they ate the fruit on the tree that God asked them to avoid because they believed that they knew better than the God that breathed life into them. And their response to that mistake, their response to taking that, that fruit and eating of that fruit, their response to it was to cover themselves up and to hide. They made these uh, fig leaf covers for themselves and they tried to hide. This garden that they were in had everything they could ever need. It was full of abundance. It was full of rich color. Like if you can imagine the most magical place ever where, where the, the, you could smell the warmth of the sun on the earth where it felt like animals and vegetation was like joyful everywhere. You could feel how the, the, your bare toes gripped the earth as you walked and moved. All of those things, the joy they had, changed in a moment. Once the, the, the thing that they saw once as common, as normal, this easy sort of life that they were living was now the thing that they would have given anything to keep because before they saw it as just unimportant. And, I, you know, you see this in different relationships and marriages where, where uh, somebody cheats on their spouse and they want to do anything they possibly can to go back to that time of their life and take that back because they didn't realize what they had was exactly what they always wanted until it was gone, until it was over. And so what you see with Adam and Eve and with other folks in this world is that we try to do whatever we can to not get caught, to avoid the consequence. And the way that we avoid the consequence or not getting caught is we cover ourselves up and we hide from each other and we hide even from ourselves. And God responds in this story, God responds in a way with grace and with care. God, it says that God forms skin for them we don't know if they didn't have skin before or what it looked like, but formed skin for them as this permanent covering and then leads them out of the garden to this earth that was not quite finished in the same way. God covered them with skin and it takes away their shame and it gives them a new start. Skin was the do-over for them. Grace was the new covering. It was, just, it was just part of who they were. They were covered in grace. And it was from that moment of their sin and shame that God made a different way for them, this new beginning that provided the right kind of covering. Our skin and our bodies are created by and are affirmed by God, so much so that we see God slipping into skin, slipping into a body as Jesus Christ. And Jesus, yeah, Jesus is God with skin on. Jesus is is God with skin on who spent his time on earth wanting to point the rest of humanity, other human beings, to what a relationship with God the Father looks like while you're on earth. That it looks like that space in the garden, that space of wholeness and completeness, of peace within yourself and within your relationship with God where that shame of covering and hiding is removed, and instead we are clothed with Christ. We are wrapped in Jesus. Like the grace of God through Jesus Christ becomes the skin that we are born into. 
We have to choose to be a part of this. But it's something that God has gifted to each and every person that we get to then affirm and say, yes, I want to follow you. I'm giving my life to you. You are my savior. And so God already loves you, already approves of you. And, and that grace that then covers you is there from the moment that you were created. You get to then affirm it. And when we affirm it, we are then baptized. In Galatians 3, Paul says that those of us who were baptized into Christ are then clothed with Christ. So then grace becomes our identity, our foundation, and our core. That's where like, we begin and that's where we end. Yeah. So oftentimes we look at a person's worth or we determine a person's worth or value based on the clothes they wear. Um, if the way you dress kind of puts you in a certain kind of group, the way that you belong or don't belong by how you dress. Uh, if, and also oftentimes you might feel like you're a different person based on what you're wearing that day as well. Like if you are going into an interview and you are putting on like a tailored to your body suit that you happen to get and it feels good, the fabric is right, you will walk with more confidence based on the clothing that you are wearing. Clothing shapes us. Fashion means to shape or to mold. But I think, I want us to think outside of fabric and more about who you are as a person. What you allow yourself to be clothed by can shape or mold you into ways that are more authentic to who you are or can shape or mold you into someone you might not recognize anymore. When I was a freshman in college and I was swimming for my college's swim team, like competitively, we would travel to different schools for meets. And whenever we would travel to these different areas, we would stay in hotels. And I would, I would always know, okay, there will be so much temptation when I'm staying in these hotels away from life as normal. And there would always be someone who, we were all underage, and someone would always fill a bathtub with ice and fill it with beer, and we would just try to party we would just and I would try on my party clothes I would try to figure out if this is the right fit for me and I would end up drinking too much I would clothe myself and messing around with guys I found myself wondering who this person was how were these clothes and these behaviors shaping me and molding me away from me how is this severing me from me and I would come home from these swim meets and these parties, and I would help lead Sunday school for junior hires the next day, and I would take off my party clothes, and I would try on my church clothes. I wasn't clothed in Christ. I was clothed in many different labels where church was one of the good ones, but church wasn't Christ. Church is a label we wear. Religion is a label we wear. That is not Christ. They could help us get to another understanding of Jesus, but we are meant to be clothed in Christ first. And I think that Jesus is asking in this passage to take off those layers, to see them, to name them, to repent of them, acknowledge them, acknowledge the power that they have shaped you and molded you, and then allow Jesus to help strip those things away if they need to be stripped away. So I want to ask, what are those layers? We all have them. What is it that you wear that's an identity marker that's coming before Jesus in your life? 
Most layers aren't bad or aren't wrong, but if we're finding our identity in what we've been clothed with and not by God's love for us through Jesus Christ first, then we will be molded and shaped by those layers instead of molded and shaped by Christ. So I want us to name them. There's three by five cards around the room. If, uh, there's more around, so if you need one, raise your hand. And there's also some in the pews. I want you guys to take the next few minutes and I want you to write down some of those layers, some of those um, labels, the clothes that you've put on. And I want you just to write it on one side of your three by five card. And maybe, maybe like you're clothed with a label, like, you know, you find your identity as a mom first or as a wife or a husband or, or as, you know, maybe your desires are beginning to define you or your sexuality or your career your level of attraction, skin color, gender, religion, race, all the layers. Write down all of those things that you are known by or that you that you may that you might be known by in some Now on the other side I want you to write Jesus. It's interesting. I you know, I didn't practice this part beforehand. And the things I've written down, I thought I thought I would write down like issues of sin or that sort of thing. But I feel like a lot of these things that I wrote down are are really beautiful and great. But it's amazing how much my brokenness can come through them. Where I'm like, oh, I'm I'm a confident person, but how much that is seen through my need for approval from other people. That if I'm putting my confidence above Christ then oftentimes I'm seeking my approval from you guys. So throw that in your Bible if you want. You keep writing things down as you go. I think our identity that we have as God's beloved creation, I think it was given to us before we were born, but there are so many ways that we cover it up, that we mask ourselves. And Jesus calls us to separate ourselves from what we decide that defines us. So when Jesus says in that passage we read to deny yourself, Jesus isn't asking you to look at yourself negatively or to be ashamed of yourself. Jesus is asking you to redefine yourself from his perspective. So denying yourself isn't about like giving up pleasures or having really good self-control over certain behaviors and vices. It's not about better self-restraint or avoiding certain people or certain situations. And it's not about personal piety or looking really super holy. I think the reason that Jesus wants us to strip away all those layers and labels and identity markers in our life is because Jesus desires a denial of the self that cherishes and generates those desires. Jesus isn't asking for better self-control or better sin management. Jesus is looking for a total renovation of our hearts, where you are no longer who you once were, 
And Jesus is getting to those deeply hidden spaces that are covered up in layer, layers of different kinds of meaning, those spaces that you don't want to let go of, those areas of pride or whatever word you want to stick in there with pride, those areas that are so deeply hidden where it feels so good to believe that you're better than those people, that you might not show it, but you certainly cherish it. You cherish that part. And many of us have these deeply hidden spaces of ourselves, where we believe that if it's known, God is a withholder, that God doesn't have our best interests in mind, and that God will then give us up. If he really knew, if God really knew, if anybody else really knew that deeply hidden space where I actually feel a sense of joy when I feel myself looking at somebody in a negative way, man, God wants to renovate that fully out. And sometimes we might look at these texts that we're reading and we think of them, oh my gosh, they're so old, they're like not even relevant anymore, they're outdated, they're like 2,000 years old. But man, those disciples then, just like us disciples today, they had self-preservation and they had self-interest determining how they responded to what they did, just like we do. When proposed with choices in life, we desire controlled outcomes and predictable and safe futures. We just do. This is not promised to us. There are no guarantees for a best life now with Jesus, and Jesus never promised that. And I think that living in the West, where we live today, where most of our basic needs are met, and we live in a place of privilege and wealth compared to much of the world, where there's this abundance of of, of resources that are accessible to us, It gives us this illusion that we have more control over our futures than we actually do. And Jesus isn't offering status. He's not offering wealth. He's not offering popularity or comfort to his disciples. Jesus is offering a new way of seeing oneself and the world around them. Jesus is offering a paradigm shift that leads away from self-interest and away from self-preservation and into a kingdom of live the way, way of living that is not of this world. It's a backwards way of seeing yourself. It's a backwards way of seeing other people. The world is one that says you be you. That that, that you can do anything you want as long as you're happy and as long as you're satisfied and as long as no one's getting hurt, anything goes. And Jesus says, deny yourself. Deny all those areas of meaning-making that distracts you and distracts others from the gospel. Deny those cherished, hidden spaces in your core and allow Jesus to renovate all of you. Begin to remove those layers that are built up over time. What good is it, Jesus asks, to primarily clothe yourself in a world like this, but to lose your soul in the process? To gain popularity, to to, to be desired, to make a name for yourself, but to lose yourself in the process? And Jesus wants every layer gone because God wants to clothe you with God's own self. God wants Christ to be your primary layer, your primary identity, the determining factor of your core. Because when kings and kingdoms will all pass away, 
When your marriage fails or your child dies or you're no longer in your prime or your career implodes, when everything else is gone, when it's just Christ who is left, will that be enough? And I think this is the core to Jesus' teaching here, his invitation. It's hard to get behind for most of us. Is Jesus enough? Like having that as, an, as a real question, is Jesus enough? When all the layers are sloughed away, when you've removed all other identifying factors and all that remains is Jesus, is Jesus enough for you? Because Jesus invites you to follow him into places you would never survive without him. But I think it's okay if Jesus isn't enough right now. I think it's okay to admit that you're on a journey and you're still learning to trust him. Jesus didn't speak this message. Danielle was reminding me at Bible study that Jesus didn't speak this message to his disciples right away. He walked with them. He loved them. He paid attention to them. He cared for them. He taught them for a couple of years before he invited them to deny themselves and follow him to the cross. Jesus started with, come and follow me. I will make you fishers of people. That sounds a lot easier to swallow. And a few years later, he says, deny yourself and follow me to death. This is a different message, and it's okay to be on a different part on the journey. But when we learn to trust in Jesus, when we learn to trust that Jesus is always with you, that Jesus will never leave you or forsake you, that denying yourself and taking up your cross is just part of it. It will come. That trust in Jesus will come with time. Jesus, before he was executed, he was being tortured before his execution, and Peter was asked, the same Peter who said, you're the Messiah, the same Peter who said, I, I would never leave you, I will always be at your side, the same Peter who said all these things is, is with, uh, he's outside of this area that Jesus is being tortured, and somebody asks him, are you associated with Jesus? I feel like, I feel like I've seen you around there. And, and Peter says twice, he says, no, I'm not associated with him. And the third time, Peter says he didn't even know Jesus. He didn't even know him. Like, can you imagine if your best friend, if you heard your best friend say, I don't know that person. I don't know what you're talking about. They don't mean anything to me. He didn't even know Jesus. And then this rooster crowed, which was like a a type of grace, I think, for Peter. And Peter realizes the weight of what he said. And when Jesus rose from the dead, three days later, he met up with his disciples on this beach and they're eating fish roasted out there and, and Jesus turns to Peter and asks him, Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, you know I do. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Jesus asks the question three times. Every time, undoing the denials that Peter made about Christ at that cross. Every time, do you love me? It's just grace upon grace. Every time, reminding him that he is clothed in grace. That in that space that Peter was ashamed of Jesus, in that moment, Jesus is like, let's start it over again. Let's do this again. When Jesus invited his disciples to deny themselves, 
to follow him to the cross. Not one male disciple did so. He asked them, he said, follow me, deny yourself, follow me to the cross. Not one male disciple followed him there. A few of the women did, but his 12 best friends did not. They never made it that far. But Jesus allowed them to start again because Jesus is full of grace and love and desires so deeply for us to be clothed in him first. Because with Jesus, there's no shame. Just a minute. Jesus removes all of that shame from you so you can stand before God and stand before others clothed in Christ where people can see the good news exuding from you. Jesus says to let your light shine. To let your light shine, to let Christ shine through you so people can know how to live in good ways with good news and glorify our Father in heaven. And then Paul says, for I am not ashamed of this good news. I am not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel is one that is nothing to be ashamed of. The gospel is one where God slipped into skin for all those layers that cause us harm and weighs us down. He took those layers to the cross and then bled them out. So we are no longer defined by any of those things anymore. Yeah. And Jesus is just like, I'm going to renovate it all. Renovate every bit of you. Transform every part of us. And then Jesus asks us, am I enough for you? I'm going to close reading this passage, and then we'll go into our time of response and praising Jesus and loving Jesus and being okay with where we're at in this journey. (laughs) Jesus says, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with all with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. Jesus, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the massive amounts of do-overs that we get again and again, that you are constantly calling us into life with you. And that no matter where we're at with following you, whether we're still in that space of learning what it means to be fishers of people, or we're already to that place of going to the cross. Lord, we know that you are always with us, that you never leave us or forsake us. May we learn to trust you, because God, you trust us. You believe us. You desire us. May we desire you. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for this church. We thank you for your word. We pray a blessing over the bread that represents your body. We pray a blessing over the juice that represents your blood. And we give you great thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can come back for communion anytime. And uh, this is your time to worship. Worship looks how you want. You can either sit down, stand up. You could dance. You could cry, kneel.
you could lay on the pews, eat more donuts, because we're going to worship Jesus. Amen.